One of the great passages of the New Testament, John 15, it is a passage that has scared uh, a lot of Christians, but it should actually bring you as a believer great confidence. Just as we've sung uh, today in almost every one of the songs that have been selected, it is the Lord's strength, it is the Lord's power, it is the Lord's plan to keep you those that He has named by His own name. And so we begin with verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By my Father, By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full." Years ago, a man was scheduled to speak before a large business gathering at a dinner. He had prepared all week to speak, and he was very nervous about his speech. But as the dinner was served, he began to relax, and then suddenly he recognized that he had a problem. He realized that he had forgotten his teeth. In a panic, he said to the man next to me, Can you believe it? I forgot my teeth. The man said, Don't worry. He reached into his pocket and pulled out three pair, and he said, Try them. The first pair was too snug. Second pair was too loose. The third pair fit perfectly. The man was able to finish his dinner or eat it and finish it and also get up and speak, and he mesmerized the entire audience. At the end of the evening, the speaker turned to his new friend and said, I don't know what to do to thank you. You saved my dinner. You saved my speech. By the way, I'm looking for a good dentist. Where are you located? The man said, I'm not a dentist. I'm an undertaker. And Chuck knew that, and that's why he sat here on the front row. In John chapter 13, Jesus says to Peter, Where I am going, you cannot follow, but afterwards you will follow me. And Peter said, Lord, why can't I follow you? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus said to him, I tell you the truth, Peter. You will deny me three times before the morning comes. You know, it's one thing to mistake an undertaker for a dentist. It's a far more serious thing to mistake yourself for something you're not. Someone has said true humility is 
thinking of yourself rightly. Not lowly, but rightly. That is true humility. This text we've read is arguably one of the most famous in the New Testament. And yet I would submit to you, I think it's one of the least understood. In the last verse of chapter 13, Jesus says to his disciples, Rise, let us go from here. Where is that? From the upper room in Jerusalem. And John lets us know that as they travel from the city of Jerusalem out into the countryside, out to the Mount of Olives, they pass the walls of Jerusalem. And there on the wall, you can imagine, there are vines growing. And as they pass one of those vines that is attached to the stones, Jesus says to them, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. And you think about that image for a minute. That would be an image that would be very familiar to them. Throughout the Old Testament, we read that Israel is the vine the Lord has planted. Isaiah says it. The vineyard of the Lord is the house of Israel. Hosea says, Israel is a luxurious vine. Throughout the Old Testament, Israel is equated with the vine, but notice here what Jesus does. He changes the image. He says, I am the true vine. In other words, everything my father intended to do with and through Israel, he is doing with and through me. Now at this time, they're reeling from the news that Jesus is about to leave them. They are reeling about that news because all they can do is think of themselves and how they will respond to Jesus' departure. And they're in the midst of their angst, in the midst of their trembling, in the midst of their worry, in the midst of their panic. What are we going to do? What will become of me? Jesus says, think of me. John 14 is all about Jesus. John 15 is all about Jesus. And when you get that, when you recognize that everything Jesus says from 13 through 14, 15, 16, 17 and on, it's all about Him. And when you get it, it gives you incredible peace, it gives you amazing joy, and it gives you tremendous confidence. So let's dig in. First of all, notice the connection Jesus makes. Look at verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. I love what C.S. Lewis writes. He says, in Hamlet, a branch breaks and a maiden drowns. Did she drown because the branch broke? Or did she drown because Shakespeare wanted to write her out of the play? Either. Both. Whichever you prefer when you understand that Shakespeare wrote the play. He's the author. You know, the same thing is true about your faith. The Bible makes it clear God is the author of faith. Not only is the author of faith, he's the sustainer of faith. It is God who is sovereign, 
He's the one who gives eternal life. He's the one who ensures eternal life. He's the one who sustains eternal life. And Jesus is talking all about himself. Think of the analogies he uses. John chapter 3, talking to Nicodemus. He says, unless a man be born again of the Spirit of God, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And here he talks about a vine. He says, I'm the true vine. My father's the vine dresser. You are the branches. Now, let me ask you some questions. Have you ever seen a baby that was born of its own free will? Have you ever seen a baby who was able to sustain its life based on its own free will? Have you ever seen a branch grow without a vine, without roots, without a trunk? Have you ever seen that? Ladies and gentlemen, when Jesus uses analogies, he uses them perfectly and aptly like laser-like precision. You must be born again. You are the branches. I am the vine. My father's the vine dresser. I know of no baby that said, I'm ready to be born. Not even in Britain. I know of no branch that was able to produce any fruit on its own. You know, in antiquity, the Jews used to say, there is no life without joy. There is no joy without wine. Wine equals joy and life. Now, isn't that interesting that in John's Gospel, chapter 2, the first miracle Jesus performs is turning water into wine. Why? Because he's making it clear to everyone who can pay attention, everyone the Holy Spirit is working in and through, that Israel is out without wine, it's without joy, it's without life, and he is the one to give all of those things. 700 years before Jesus. Hosea, speaking for God, says, Israel is an empty vine. In other words, it's fruitless, it's joyless, it's lifeless. Have you ever been to London, England? If you have, you've probably gone to Hampton Court. Hampton Court is one of the residencies of the royals. They've lived there since the 18th century. But all of the stone, all of the terracotta, all of the splendor of that building is nothing when you compare it to the gardens of Hampton Court. The gardens stretch out for miles. There's a variety of gardens. And in one of those gardens, there's a grapevine that is older than a thousand years And on that grapevine, there are branches that extend beyond 200 feet. And every year, even at the end of those branches, tons of grapes are produced. Why? Because they've remained in the vine. Now, the word remain or abide, depending on your translation, that word in Greek is transliterated into Hebrew, and it's used more than a hundred times, and it's always used with connection to one person, and that's God. In the Old Testament, when you read that word that's transliterated into Greek and translated into English, abide or remain, it always refers to God. And it always refers to one aspect of God's character, and that's His immutability. You know, every once in a while, somebody will say, you know, sometimes the words you use, 
are crazy, like those big words like delicatessen. Well, here's a big word, immutability. And you ought to know that word, immutability, because for the Christian, the immutability of God is one of the greatest joy producers there is. What's it mean? It means he doesn't change. He doesn't mutate. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's no shadow of turning in Him. His word never changes. His decrees never change. His heart never changes. His love never changes. His holiness never changes. He does not change. In the Old Testament, God has a desire. And that is to walk with His people. It's to meet His people. And so he establishes a method by which he can meet his people. They have to clean themselves. They have to care for themselves. They have to follow certain procedures. And when they come to the tent of meeting or to the tabernacle or to the temple, they have to stay at a healthy distance from God. God desires them to come, but not too close. Now, notice what Jesus is telling us about his father's desire. He has the same desire. He desires to meet with his people. But Jesus, what he is saying is, you will meet my father by meeting me. And where does Jesus go when he meets us? He comes all the way in to our very lives. Jesus says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. In other words, you're coming to me and you're staying with me has far less to do with you and far more to do with me. That's what Jesus, or that's what Paul means when he talks to the Christians at Colossae. When he says, Christ in you, present tense, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's why C.S. Lewis writes, on the whole, God's love for us is much safer to think about than our love for Him. Why? Because our love so often involves our emotions and they are fleeting. They change. But ladies and gentlemen, God's love for you never does change. He is immutable. His love is immutable. And your connection to Him is immutable as well because He called you By name. Second, notice not only the connection, notice the cultivation. Look at verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, my Father takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now, there is a translation in English that is scary. It says this, New International Version. He cuts off... Every branch in me that bears no fruit. And for years, commentators have seized on that. And to say that, yes, a Christian can be lost. A Christian that doesn't bear fruit, God can cut off. The vine dresser can cut off. You can be lost after he's found you. It's all up to you to stay faithful. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if that's true, then Jesus is a schizophrenic. 
Chapter 14, he says to his disciples, don't you dare fear. We know it this way. Let not your hearts be troubled. He's speaking in the imperative tense. They're scared to death about the news that Jesus is going to leave them. And he says to them, let not your hearts be troubled. Don't you dare fear. He speaks that way because he wants to remove their doubt. He wants to say, if you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Don't you dare fear. He seeks to eliminate their doubt. So doesn't it appear that if that's the way we're to translate the word arrow in Greek as cut off, Jesus is now promoting their doubt? Every branch that does not bear fruit, he cuts off. You see, the problem here is not with Jesus, it's with the translation. The word cut off, translated cut off, is arrow. And it doesn't mean to cut off. It means the opposite. It means to lift up. In John eleven forty one. John says this, Jesus lifted up his eyes. Did he cut off his eyes? No, he lifted them up. That's the proper translation. What Jesus is saying is, my father's the vine dresser, and when a branch is not producing, he doesn't cut it off, he lifts it up. Maybe it's been tangled by the weeds. Maybe the sun hasn't baked it or warmed it. Whatever its problem is, my father doesn't cut it off. He lifts that branch up. And you know something? If you walk with Jesus very long, you know that's exactly what he does. Have you ever had doubts about your faith? I have. Have you ever sinned boldly and bigly? (laughs) I have. Have you ever wondered whether you're really his? I have. Have you ever walked so far astray there's nothing but darkness and you're questioning your own sanity? I have. And what does he do? He lifts you up. He sends someone there who knows him. Maybe it's a Christian song you hear. Maybe it's desperation like the prodigal in the pig pen. For whatever, whatever he uses, he draws you back. Someone has said, discipline is not God's way of saying, I'm through with you. It's his way of saying, I'm bringing you back. C.S. Lewis again writes, God whispers in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our work. He shouts to us in our pain. And what's he shout to us? He shouts to every one of his children, I change not. I love you with an everlasting love. Come to me, all you who labor and are burdened down, and I will give you rest. You see, Jesus is not scaring his disciples. He's comforting them. What he's saying is my father continues to do his work. He not only grafted you into the vine, he lifts you up when the weeds of life entangle you. And those branches that do bear fruit, he prunes those so that they might bear more fruit. I love what A.W. Pink says. To an ignorant person looking at his pruning, it would seem like a villainous waste with a floor full of green leaves and insipid clusters. And all that is left is a bare stem and hundred points of sharp steel. 
But to those who know the love of God and the care of the vine dresser, it's just the opposite. His pruning is the best thing he can ever do for you. Years ago, an anonymous writer wrote this, I asked for strength that I might achieve. He gave me weakness that I might obey. I asked for health that I might do great things. He gave me grace that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. He gave me poverty that I might be wise. I received nothing that I asked for. He gave me everything that I had hoped for. Ladies and gentlemen, you file that under cleansing. You file it under being lifted up. You file it under pruning. And you file it under the immutability of God's faithfulness, His love. He never changes ever. And then third, Notice the characteristics. Look at verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he who bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. 1,500 years ago, St. Patrick wore a breastplate. And on that breastplate were inscribed these words. It must have been a big breastplate because listen to these words. Christ be with me. Christ in front, Christ in the rear, Christ within me, Christ below me, Christ above me, Christ at my right hand, Christ at my left hand, Christ in the fort, Christ in the chariot seat, Christ at the helm, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of every man who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. Do you get the idea that it's all about Christ? Fruit-bearing is nothing more than the likeness of Christ being displayed in you and in me. Years ago, a famous preacher was in the town of a city of Los Angeles to preach for a whole evening series every night of the week. On the second night, he came into the auditorium and his host was there. And his host said to you, him, if I knew you were going to the gardens today, I, I would have gone with you. The preacher said, how did you know I went to the gardens? His host said, because I smell the fragrance all over you. You know, for years, Christians have come to this particular verse and felt guilty. They said, if I really am producing fruit, I would see souls saved and sick healed and demons banished. If I was really bearing fruit, I'd see all these evidences. But you know something? That's not what Jesus is talking about. Remember what he says in Matthew chapter 7? On the last day, many will come to me and say, Lord, did we not do all these things in your name? And then he lists them. And then he said to them, I will say to those, depart from me, workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. You see, the fruit of which Jesus is speaking here is exactly the same fruit Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These aren't so much deeds as attributes. They are characteristics. They are manners of life that begin to grow as we're continually exposed to the life of Christ in us. 
If they were deeds that we must do, then we would make them a law. But because they're deeds that God does in our lives, they're pure, unadulterated grace. Someone has said, others come and tell you how to live. Jesus comes and gives you life. And you begin to see that life unfolding right before your eyes. You see, Jesus is not our helper. Jesus is not our model. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. And when we see little fruit, not so much love, not so much joy, not so much patience, not so much gentleness, not so much self-control, He has a way of lifting us up cleaning us off, showing us again who He is, who we belong to. And as you gaze at Him, you begin to find yourself changing into His image. May we do that more and more. Amen.